Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talked to Chip Doyle, a Sandler sales training expert. Most remodelers wear many management hats. Sales management is only one of them. So Chip is here to share some successful methods of managing the sales function part-time. Because let's face it, you have other jobs too. I'm going to do this the old-fashioned way, with two swords and maximum effort. Okay, guys. Let's get out there and make a difference. Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Howdy. Hey, Mark. This is going to be a fun one. It's going to be Really fun. You know, um, so many of our members are hiring salespeople, but I think that there aren't that many of them that have had experiences with managing those salespeople. So I think this topic is very timely. Well, I love the idea of actually let's just call a, a spade a spade and say, hey, you can't do this full time. So right. it's, I think it's the first time someone's actually stepped up and said, okay, you're only going to do this part-time. This is how you're going to do it effectively. Right, right. And I think it's going to be very fascinating because Chip's had so much experience in this area to find out what the where, where people fall down on the job, where they do specifically very well naturally because, again, there's so little training. So let's get this ball rolling, shall we? Roll away. All right. So I am delighted to welcome Chip Doyle with us today. Chip's been working with Remodelers Advantage for... God, probably 15 years, and he's trained so many of our roundtable members and university members in sales and in sales management. He also wrote the book, Selling to Homeowners, The Sandler Way. Um, and he, in addition to training uh, owners and salespeople, he also works with designers and production managers on how to sell without sounding like salespeople. Welcome, Chip. Wow, I'm feeling really old. I didn't realize <laughs> I've been working together with Remodelers Advantage for that length of time, but you're absolutely right. Well, you started you started when you were 12, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's always been a pleasure. You know, we've worked with Sandler even before you. We'd worked with uh, mm-hmm. Sandler for another probably 10 years before that. So, But now we have this wonderful bond with you, and you're sort of our special R.A. Sandler guy. Thank you. So thanks for doing this for us today. So how are sales going for most of your clients right now? You know, right now, uh, most of my construction remodeling clients are cherry picking. We've got to be, we've got limited labor pool, limited labor for production, limited labor for design, and certainly limited labor for salespeople. And so it's not really about just signing up anybody that can fog a mirror. We've really got to be discerning about who we sign a design agreement with or who we do a construction project for and uh, that that project's going to be profitable, that the client is going to thank us and be appreciative afterwards so that mm-hmm. they say good things and refer us to their friends. It's, it's not just about – it's certainly not about persuading or convincing people. It's about picking the right people to work with. Well, so what are some of the things you look for in those clients? What do you, how do you know if they're going to be appreciative and willing to pay the money and all that? Well, I know it sounds cliche, but they really need to have a compelling problem um, that the, the remodeler can fix. Uh, I was just talking to a client recently, and they said, well, Chip, you know, this particular prospect doesn't really have any pain. They don't have any compelling problems. Uh, 
They just want to do the project because it'll be a luxury. I said, run from those people. <laughs> really? That is not your client. They are unsatisfiable. Really? If you've ever had a client like that, that, that no matter what you do, they're never happy, it's because they're, you're not solving a compelling problem. And wow. I tell this to salespeople. I tell it to designers and I tell it to uh, project managers. We've got to isolate our time to people who have problems. And then, of course, there's problems that your individual companies are very good at fixing. Obviously, you'd like to find people that care about those problems. And then certainly, you know, I've had some clients fire some of their clients because folks were being rude to their employees. I mean, oh. we need to have we need to have a fit. We need to have a good communication and a functional relationship mm-hmm. if we're going to enter into a business relationship, I always say you can lose a lot more money by closing a sale <laughs> than you can by getting rejected. Oh, that's good. So yeah. again, you know, demand is there. If someone had the capacity to build it and if they added a salesperson, they could potentially rev, rev up their revenue by quite a bit, right? Well, there's not only the increase for the revenue, but, you know, a lot of these um, remodelers, Advantage members are getting older. Uh, they're trying to lead a balanced life. They've been working 60 hours a week, and now they join the roundtables, and they realize that's not the way it has to be. And uh, they want to get some of their free time back and spend more time with their family, and they realize that they can't take much of a vacation right. uh, if, if they are the only primary salesperson for the company. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's about growth profitable growth, but it's also about taking one of those additional responsibilities off the mm-hmm. founder slash owner uh, and spreading that responsibility around. And also having those salespeople getting that hat at least partially or the majority off the owner adds value to the company should someone be interested in purchasing it down the road. Huge. You can't sell a company if uh, the owner, the person who's trying to sell it is still the primary salesperson. Absolutely correct. So what are you seeing? What's the best way to hire a salesperson if that should be one's desire? So the the first advice that I found, uh, having worked with hundreds of these remodeling companies, is that the success rate of hiring a salesperson from the outside to join your company is very low success, very low probability of success, less probably like 30% success ratio. Really? Yeah. It turns out in this economy, if a salesperson comes to your company looking for a job, there's a reason. Good salespeople are not looking for jobs right now. They're happily employed and they're making very good money. And so be very careful of a salesperson. Now, there have been some isolated incidents, and I'm not joking, where people have literally relocated from from Mm -hmm. outside the United States to within the U.S., I've had some people who've had some major life changes that have transferred from one state in the country to another state, mm-hmm. uh, and those can work out. But in general, if someone's in your local market and they're struggling with one of your other one of your competitive construction companies, there's a reason they're struggling, and and the success rate of hiring those people is very low. Now, on the other hand, taking a known employee who is a good designer or a good estimator or who's a you know a proven hard worker as a project manager and they have a little bit of people skill uh, and they can get along customers tend to like them we know that they don't have a drug problem mm-hmm. and they show up to work on time and all these things that we know can be a problem when you get all, and of course they're a cultural fit then those people, uh, I see about a 70 to 80% success rate hmm. dipping their toes into the water and starting to take on a little bit of the sales responsibility. 
And one of the reasons that's attractive to a lot of my clients is because if it doesn't work out, they don't have to fire anybody. They can let them go back to doing what they were doing before. And now they've got some additional skills. Uh, no one's feelings yet hurt. There's no, there's very little drama. I'm seeing a much better success rate by taking a proven employee and giving them some sales skills than I am bringing somebody from the outside. Well, so I imagine that answers are different from depending on whether they're inside or outside. But the question is, how long do you give someone before you decide if they're going to make it or not? Well, the, there's a couple of, that's a good question. There's a couple of metrics that you're going to want to pay attention to, and it's not just sales revenue. Okay. A lot of this is the, the common thing I get is chip. Oh, I have to wait 12 to 18 months before I, if I know my salesperson is going to work out because it takes a long time to sell these jobs and, and finish them. Um, first of all, if you're a design build company and you're listening to this podcast, that's a great process to orient a new salesperson. They don't, in fact, I tell them when I'm, if I'm hiring them early on in this transition, I tell them you're not allowed to sell any construction project. And they think I'm being funny, but I'm not. I'm like, no, no, your job is to sell design agreements, period. End of discussion. We have people in the company with design skills and production and estimating skills that can carry this ball across the finish line. Your job is to qual sell qualified design agreements. And if someone's struggling selling design agreements, uh, it, it doesn't take very long to figure out that they're really having a problem. And it does happen. You know, Victoria, I'm not going to tell you it's, 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 it is a risk, but you can find that out in three months. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, another thing that I like is uh, to see if a person is prospecting. This is, again, another area where I get a lot of pushback from, uh, from the roundtable members, but all salespeople prospect. Uh, the reason is because closing ratio is primarily a function of lead source. Right. So if all your salesperson is doing is pursuing looky-loos who are in contact with five other contractors, I can assure you they're going to have a hard time. They're going to struggle mm -hmm. closing deals. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if they're meeting the neighbors next door to an existing client or they're being introduced to friends or coworkers, they're going to naturally have a higher closing ratio. And another thing is the value proposition to the, to the client is very high. When we say Sally went to a networking event and brought in some people that are going to do a construction project that we would have never talked to if it hadn't have been Sally's efforts, all of a sudden you feel a lot better about writing that check to Sally for her compensation mm -hmm. every month. Mm -hmm. So all salespeople must prospect and you can start telling if someone's prospecting in two weeks. You know, you don't need to, you know, they need to learn a 30 second commercial. They need to be able to, you know, be friendly with people and they can go to networking events and meet neighbors and knock on doors, make friends with high end realtors or possibly some other designers in the community. The prospecting is something you can see somebody do very quickly. Mm -hmm. So if I were thinking about being a sales manager for the first time, say I have my first salesperson, what does my week with them look like? I mean, how much time do I need to spend with them and what should we be discussing? So, so first of all, you should have done a little bit of screening and done some kind of a sales assessment beforehand. Mm -hmm. Because unless you've got a crystal ball, everybody's different. Everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. And as a manager, you deserve that x-ray that's looking at your person to identify the areas where they're probably strong and identify those areas where they're weak 
and and take that into account first. Now, I know you do an assessment. So in your assessment, like we use DISC for a lot of hiring of just of general positions. I know yours is specifically about sales skills, but does yours, like ours, list something like uh, areas to manage or strengths or, or opportunities for time wastings that list things like that to bring to alert the managers for things to look at? Yes. For instance, one of the things that we care about is how a, whether a salesperson is able to talk about money. A lot of salespeople, including me in the Doyle family, we never spoke about money. And so now suddenly I'm in sales and I need to have very frank budgetary conversations with people. And it was so far outside my comfort zone. So I needed a lot of coaching before I would go on an appointment about how am I going to handle the money discussion and when do I not talk about money and when do I absolutely need to talk about money? And then what do I say? Do I, uh, you know, especially for a new salesperson, we don't want them going out to some job site and ballparking how much a project's going to cost because they've been in somebody's living room for 30 minutes. It's absurd. <laughs> right. So we need to give them some third-party stories to share because the, they've done their research beforehand. And they can say, Sally, I don't know how much your project's going to cost. It could cost anything that you want. That's why we do design. But I can tell you the Browns down the street, they did a lovely remodel, not too different from yours, and they spent $180,000. So we've got – that would be someone I'd want to spend a lot of time coaching them. Um, there's, a, there's things about sales specifically that need to be identified on the front end. I mean I'm all for DISC because it's a really good uh, way of learning how to communicate and learning and, – and salespeople, we want them to be a chameleon. We want them to be mm-hmm. able to adapt their communication pattern depending on the prospect that they're speaking to. Mm-hmm. But there's still these other things that are sales specific that we want to uncover in the assessment. Now, once you've got that roadmap, um, obviously the things you're going to want to focus on are prospecting. Let's get that person out of the office as soon as possible. So you uh, use thing- you use something called a, you call a cookbook. Uh, isn't that a one way that you track their prospecting activities? Right. We, what we do is we focus on what the salesperson can control. The salesperson cannot control how many sales they're going to close in any given week. They can't even control really how many appointments they have in a given week, but they can control how many doors they knock on. They can control how many times they pick up the phone. They can control how many networking events they go to, how many realtor events they go to. Um, and so these are things that you can measure and get the, client, the salesperson oriented to in the first week. So what about a meeting? Do you, weekly meetings, more than weekly meetings? Do you start out meeting every day and then? For, for brand new people in sales, uh, I would recommend that the, uh, the owner, who's the acting sales manager, uh, speak to that new person every day at five o'clock. Okay. And? Or, or some, whatever time is convenient that, that's not gonna cut into their normal work time. Every single day when I've hired a salesperson, every single day at 5 o'clock, that phone rang. How's it going? What did you work on today? Who did you meet with? What did you ask them? What did you find out? And, and I mean, it, it's not just – it's not micromanagement. It's demonstrating that you care. Mm-hmm. It's showing a concern and a willingness to support your salesperson. They love those phone calls. They're learning immensely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the other issue with brand-new salespeople, Victoria – is they can come up with the most innovative, creative, crazy thing that you don't want them to do. And so we've got to be staying – and they're, they're all famous for chasing shiny objects. 
And so we need that daily check-in to see what are they working on? What are they doing? Are they doing the things that they've been trained to do? Or in some cases, have they just plain misinterpreted our coaching instructions? So we need that daily interaction, especially in the first month. Okay, great. And so then what, let's assume they're picking it up. They're seeming like they're on the ball. Everything's going smoothly. You've been talking to them every day for a month. And then what's the better, what's a cadence that would you transition to? Um, a couple of times a week. Uh, there certainly should be something like a sales meeting or a pipeline meeting, but I don't think that's enough. Um, the other thing is consistency in the message. One of the things that sales that's very different from sales to sales management is with sales, we need to be a chameleon. We need to adapt. We need to be quick on our feet and asking really good questions and knowing how to handle objections. Sales managers need to be boring and predictable. <laughs> Why They're gonna, is that? Well, actually, it's one of the traits of great CEOs. CEOs get on message and they stay on message with everybody in the company and they don't change and they let everybody see that they are the voice of consistency and reason. And the same thing for sales managers. We want the sales manager to ask the salesperson the exact same questions about each one of their appointments. Like? Like, what was their pain? How much did they tell you they were willing and able to spend? You know, how did they fit our client profile? Um, did they agree to the next step in our sales process? Uh, you know, I want, what, how did you start the meeting? How did you end the meeting? These are some consistent questions. That so We want to be so predictable that when the salesperson speaks to the sales manager, they're going to say, Victoria, I, I know. I know what you're going to ask me. Let me just tell you what I found out. Mm -hmm. And when that manager hears that, their heart should go pitter-patter <laughs> because they are a fine sales manager. <laughs> That's great. What, what you don't want to do is you don't want to uh, outsmart your salesperson. A lot of sales managers are smart. They've been in the business for 20, 30 years, and they've forgotten more about sales than the poor person's ever going to learn. And so they're always one-upping. Well, did you try this? Did you ask them that? And the salesperson's like, well, I didn't know to ask that. I never thought of that question before. We've never discussed that. That's really bad sales management. It's good for stroking the manager's ego, but it's not going to help your salesperson feel motivated uh, and well-trained in order to be successful. So as a sales manager, I have my questions ready. I ask the same questions all the time. How do I know how to help them? I mean, how do I know how to respond? If you say, what was their pain? And they're like, oh gosh, I really forgot to, to, to identify that directly. So that is, it's nice when a salesperson is transparent. And by the way, uh, truthfulness is a, is mandatory. Uh, when, when I, uh, work with salespeople, they've got to know straight away, don't shine me on don't try to tell me what I want to hear. I am on the same team as you. And if you did something wrong or if you didn't understand or if you didn't ask a question, you must be transparent. You're not going to get in trouble for being honest with me. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and that's the only way you're going to be able to coach these people because one of the challenges of managing salespeople is you. a lot of times you don't see them. They're not supposed to be in the office when they're working their magic. It's not like a production worker that you can go and stand and watch for uh, 30 minutes while you're chatting on the phone. It's not like an office worker who you can observe from your desk. And it's one of the biggest challenges with managing salespeople is we don't know exactly what's happening in some of our appointments. 
So uh, one of the things they're going to have to do is certainly to debrief the salesperson on every appointment and listen for these kinds of problems that are coming up. Pay attention to the pattern. Uh, but also, too, they're going to have to go with the person on some of the appointments, not all of them. And they really need to divide the kinds of appointments they're going on in two categories. The first category is the important sale that we need to close. And so we bring the, the hitter, the boss, along with us because we know our likelihood of success is going to increase. And there's just too much money at stake to let the salesperson make a mistake. That's category one. Second category is the type of deal where the manager is going to be dead silent. They're going to have lockjaw and they're not <laughs> going to say anything and they're just going to observe and listen to what the salesperson does. And if the homeowner asks the manager a question, the manager is going to look at the salesperson and defer <laughs> to whatever they say. Oh, that would be so and hard. It's very hard, but it's a great way to learn what's really happening. And if your salesperson is digging themselves into a hole, you can't reach in there and pull them out. You've got to see how far they're going to dig or if they manage to climb back out. And it is difficult, but it is the only way you're going to really know how your salesperson is doing and how to be a better coach for them. So you literally sit there and say nothing. If it's the second category of appointment and you've agreed that that's going to be the category two of learning opportunity, then, yeah, you can't you can't do any rescuing. Where do you see new sales managers typically falling down on the job? You know, what do they miss most often? I think some of the things that we've already said, I mean, they're they're remember, they're busy. They're good at what they do. Uh, they tend to uh, trivialize the importance of some of the coaching, so they may not want to spend as much time or be as patient. Uh, they really lack that ability to be consistent and predictable in their coaching of the salesperson. Um, and then, and then the last thing is they think that somehow the salesperson's going to create all this business on their own. The best time to hire somebody to go into sales is when you have ample lead. I've had a few owners make the mistake of having a real sales problem and desire, deciding to hire one or two salespeople, thinking that was magically going to fix everything. But these folks were lead starved, and, uh, and so they were literally sitting in the office twiddling their thumbs, waiting on appointments. And, yeah, they could get out and do a little bit of prospecting, but it probably took the owner of that business a number of years to get things going. You don't expect a salesperson to suddenly have all their own leads in their first three months on the job. It might take as long as a year or two before a salesperson becomes self-sufficient and literally is not interested in any of the company-generated leads because they have so many referrals. Wouldn't that be so, nice? Yeah, so don't make the mistake uh, for those of you that are listening that you, know, you think you're just going to hire somebody and they're going to solve a sales problem. You need to have an abundance of leads to send that person out to. And some of those leads need to be good practiced. Um, that's, a, that's another uh, mistake is that, you know, the, the owner is very picky about the leads that he or she's going to go on because they're busy and they're wearing many hats. And so they overqualify on the phone. Well, don't tell your brand new salesperson to overqualify on the phone. Go out on those appointments. Uh, it's an opportunity to practice your skills and, right. and get some repetition. And I got news for you. Some of those leads that you've been overqualifying mm -hmm. on the phone will actually turn into business. And if you'd have sent somebody out to, to visit with those people and do a little bonding and rapport and 
uh, they would have closed some deal. So uh, don't make the mistake of thinking the level of qualification the new salesperson does should be the same as what the owner has historically done. So, you know, I remember hearing from people that at some point you need to slow down the number of leads that you give a salesperson so that that salesperson can focus on what they have and that actually closing ratios can go up by not giving them too many leads and they're running all over like crazy people. Is that true? Is there a truth in that? I think that that depends on the person, uh, and it is a balancing act. You can go too far the other way. We don't want salespeople going out on an appointment feeling pressure like, oh, my God, i got to close this one. I've only got one more appointment this week. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, there's a trick that some managers do is they say to the salesperson, listen, I'm going to give you a bunch of really bad leads that probably won't go anywhere, and that's okay. Just go out on these appointments with no pressure with no performance anxiety, and you're going to just go out and disqualify those people but practice your selling skills. Okay. Um, you, you, it's a balancing act. It can be too far one way or the other. Chip, what do you think is the minimum amount of time a business owner should be spending on sales management in a given week? Well, I think if, they're, um, if they've got somebody ramped up, you could spend as little as 10% of your time. But I think when you've got a brand new person, uh, you're taking on a greater responsibility and you're probably looking at bumping that up to 30 or 40 percent when 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 the person is new and and ramping up. And what's a reasonable on the, the, the longevity of the person and their effectiveness. And what's a reasonable amount of time, in your opinion, to allow that ramp up to take place? Weeks, months, three, three to five months. Okay. so last question. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready for the lightning round. I'm a little bit nervous. (laughs) And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap. (laughs) Okay. 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. What's your favorite business book and why? Uh, Your Brain at Work by David Rock because um, the pains that he talks about in that book that relate to human psychology map perfectly to remodeling. Uh, If you read the book, you can see that the reasons people remodel are very predictable and they're based in science. It has nothing to do with the industry itself. Interesting. If you weren't a Sandler sales training expert and consultant, what do you think you'd be doing? You know, I probably would be, you know, another book that I like is The Goal. It's a book about manufacturing, and I used to work in the automotive industry. And I think if I was running a small manufacturing company, maybe I'm into automation and processes and systems. What are you not very good at? I am not neat and tidy, as uh, my wife would tell you. (laughs) uh, Fortunately, there's this search function in my computer, so I can find files now. But your room, your desk, or your car? Which do you clean first? Uh, my car, for sure. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your memory? <sighs> Boy, uh, that's very humbling. Um, I would say now it's probably like a 5. <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time remembering who I spoke to yesterday. What's your biggest pet peeve? Waiting. Standing in line. Can't stand it. <laughs> Hate it. Only two radio stations are getting reception. Do you choose reggae or jazz? Jazz, no question. (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your memory? (laughs) 
one. <laughs> that's a good one. I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Chip. This is awesome. Great stuff. You, As always, you know, you, you, you make these podcast recordings so easy and you know your stuff. I always love talking to you. But now before I say goodbye and thank you and all that good stuff, I want you to share with our listening audience your five words of wisdom and why they resonate with you. Just sell the next step. And why is that? Because especially in remodeling, it drives me nuts when these people send out an email that says, buy a $200,000 project from us. Or when they're at a networking event, they're trying to convince someone to choose our company. Well, that's ridiculous. They should be selling the next step. The next step is an appointment. The next step is a design agreement. The next step is blah, blah, blah. It's just, let's just make it simple. We're, we're selling something extremely expensive, and we need to stop thinking about the end product and just sell the next step. That is awesome. Perfect. And why don't we tell the listening audience as well about the program that you do for us specifically? Well, a long time ago, uh, I started working with a number of uh, Remodelers Advantage members, and I uh, realized, you know what? They've all got a lot of the same problems. They're all doing mostly uh, 95% of them are doing design build. Why work with these people individually in a somewhat expensive format when there's a much more cost-effective way to bring all these people together onto an individual coaching call that uses the same platform that we're using today so that people can learn together. But most importantly, instead of hearing what Chip says, they can hear what Frank just did on a sales call yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so, it, I don't know, it gives people a little bit more courage to know that they're doing something that one of their colleagues has done recently. Great. Well, I know it's a very popular program, and I believe we've titled it Sales Edge. Sales Edge. We want to give that, everyone that winning edge because um, in, in sales, you don't need to beat your opponent by 100 yards. You need to just be an inch ahead of them, mm -hmm. and you'll win more than your fair share of business. Awesome. So, hey, Mark, how about we put some uh, information in the show notes about Sales Edge Program? We will. Chip. We will. The show notes at um, powertipsunscripted.com. Awesome. Thank you again, Chip. All right. Thanks, Chip. Hey. Yeah, that Sales Edge Program is really, really rocking. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's for um, salespeople and specific sales skills. But I thought this one today, focusing a little bit more on sales management, was an awesome topic. It was very good. You know, I thought it was um, particularly interesting that – he kind of made it sound like if you're just more of a robot, you're a good sales manager. Mm -hmm. you know, now, you're the sales manager here. Did you pick up anything? I picked you... up tons because, you know, I, I that's one thing for sure. I am not predictable at mm, all. Right. <laughs> yes. Or boring, I might add. But, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, there's nothing predictable about my sales meeting. So I'm going to have to change that. Yeah. Obviously, I'm the worst sales manager on earth. <laughs> no, I think I was worse than you. But uh, But with Chip's help, I did get a little bit better. But I was still happy to hand it off to you. You know what else I liked a lot was the idea that overqualifying is is bad. Let's right. let's take advantage of those to they're they're great practice at the very mm -hmm. minimum. Mm -hmm. And um, I think why send a newbie or a, or a fresh recruit out on every premium qualified lead? Take advantage of all the leads coming in mm -hmm. so that they can learn and train. Mm -hmm. And you know, I wonder if people say, "Oh, there's got to be a, a wealth of leads." coming in for to hire a salesperson if they counted all the leads that came in not just the ones that the owners choose to go on well they might have enough leads for another salesperson that's true very true that was good stuff yep. and chip does have a pretty decent memory turns out yeah it does. <laughs> that's funny uh, okay all right well that was fun as always um thank you for being here 
I am Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. We'll see you next time. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.